So we are doing a talk on um, called The Big Issue, okay? We are um, starting our series tonight, and in the coming weeks we will discuss, this is just for the month of March, so four sessions, and we'll talk about how to find a godly partner. That's really more next week. We'll talk about singleness. Whoop, whoop. That's the next week. And then we'll talk about same-sex attraction to kind of close things out, okay? I think that will be helpful and important. And throughout those weeks, we'll talk about dating in general. Um, and tonight, I want to kind of give a brief overview of all those things um, and by looking at what dating is ultimately supposed to point to which is marriage. Um, and before we do, just real quick, uh, Zeb, you can hit that next slide. We have a couple of, I'm, I love the books, right? So we have a couple for you guys, okay? This one, ladies in particular, is called She's Got the Wrong Guy, Why Smart Women Settle. Uh, PVN is full of accomplished, uh, intelligent, very nice girls, and sometimes they will date guys, and I'll think, why? You know, like, it'll just happen. And so I want to be sure you guys are aware. This book is awesome. Deepak Reju is uh, a Christian counselor in Washington, D.C., and I just say that to say the dude knows what he's talking about. Um, and the book, essentially, each chapter is a different kind of guy that is not good, um, a different kind of guy that, that you know and that maybe you have dated or at least thought about dating in the past or maybe in the future. So you can kind of see the warning signs and that sort of thing. So pick up a copy of that. And then Zeb, hit the next slide. This one's more for everybody. This is by Ben Stewart, uh, who teaches at Passion City in Washington, D.C. It's called Single, Dating, Engaged, and Married. Yeah, okay, good. Um, <clears throat> it's a good book. That's for everybody. I want all of you guys to pick those up tonight, okay? And if you get back there and the one that you want is gone, let me know and we'll get you some more, okay? Because we can do the series for a little while and then it's over, but books you can take home with you. They're super, super interesting, really, really tight, but they're in the back right here uh, at the table called High School Books, okay? That's where you get them, okay? Does that make Thank you, Brody. Yeah. Does that make sense? Questions on that? So please grab copies of those tonight. Fellas, it's not weird to get She's Got the Wrong Guy. That'll help you kind of tweak things and know what they should be looking for. I have a copy of the book. I've read it. It's, it's great. Deepak's a, a good dude, okay? Cool? So be sure you guys get those. Before we do that, though, in order to help you guys look, appreciate and understand marriage a little bit, uh, we need to do kind of a visual. So we're going to have a little bit of a wedding, okay? So I need Brooks Brewer uh, and Hannah Dellis to come on up tonight. So congratulations. Congratulations. You guys knew it was going to happen, right? I think we all knew this one was going to. Okay, so Brooks, you're getting married. You need to have a good day. So look sharp. Put that on, okay? Just put around the thing. Hannah, obviously. Okay. Okay. So, all right. So, I want you guys to see this, and then I'll explain why. So, you guys, now at an actual wedding, you won't be standing this far apart or this oblong. So, come on up here. So, we'll actually, and we'll swap it a little bit. Um, oh, that guy. Could, all right. Here we go. So, all right. So, this will be about here. I'll be in the middle, obviously, for photo reasons. You guys will learn about this later. Okay. So, as we do weddings, I actually need my notes for this. So, real quick. Okay. Here we go. That doesn't happen. Real talk. There was a guy who. Um, at, are you taking a picture of this one? <laughs> at, don't post it. Yeah, and no one go home and tell your parents, like, it was great. I got married. I had so much fun. Don't tell Stacy that, that, that this is not binding. Um, so get excited for that. Um, real talk at a wedding. So a couple of horror stories. Clyde was at a wedding one time outdoors, and the 
oh, sorry, not a good omen, uh, at, outdoors, and the dude dropped the ring in the grass, and they had to like, oh, sorry, like, like for like 10 minutes, they had to look, it was so weird, and then uh, Mr. Listen, who's come here and spoken before, he's been at a wedding where the pastor had his notes out of order, and the pastor was like, oh, hang on, and he literally was like, like, like doing this at the wedding, so we're not going to do that today, but so here, here, I want you to see this so that that way... You can understand. Um, so first, as you remember, or as you have seen maybe in weddings before, Dad would bring, so David would bring Hannah down the aisle, and then we would do the vows. Now, in the vows, right, to each other, but, but they don't ask each other questions. I ask them the questions. So I would say, I would ask, do you, Brooks, do this, and you would respond with, I do, I hope so, right? I do and I will. But he's responding to me, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, except for, and then I ask Hannah the same questions, but Brooks is the subject, right? I'm, ask, I'm asking Hannah the questions about the vows, and she's making them to me, but Brooks is the subject. Now, Hannah, these vows are about you and Brooks, right? But who's asking you the questions? Not a trick. Who's asking you the questions? Shh, don't let, that, that was really taking one for the lady. That was cool. That was good. Or bad, yeah. Um, and it's about Brooks, but you're answering me, right? You guys see this? Like, and at weddings, you'll see this. They'll answer, the, the vows are about each other, but the spouses are, or spouses-to-be are actually answering and talking to the pastor. Um, the strange part is that you're not actually making these vows to each other, at least not at first, okay? Um, that was good. You guys did a good job. Take your souvenirs. Go on down. I'll be back. Give it up for our, uh, our helpers. That was awesome. Oh, not yet, you crazy kid. Oh, my goodness. Uh, all right, here we go. So I wanted to show you this so that you would understand. Now, think about it. I asked the fellas, right? Fellas, I'll ask you, do you take, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and will you, et cetera, et cetera, and the fellas respond with, I do. That's Eric's tie, so just keep that. Just, just hang on to it, okay? Um, but they're answering me. The vow is about their, their soon-to-be wife, right? It's about each other, but they're answering me, okay? So, fellas, listen, fellas, you're making a covenant with your wife, but you're also covenanting with me, do you this, do you this, I will, I do. You're saying it to me. You're covenanting with me about her. And then I ask the ladies the same thing, and she responds to me not to the groom. Did you catch this? You've probably seen this at weddings before and not realized that that's what's happening. Only after they affirm these vows with me do they then confer vows to one another. Do you see that? Only after they've affirmed with me do we then confer with one another. Do they exchange the rings and do the vows with each other or pour the sand or light the candle or whatever kids are into at that point, right? Um, but first, they have to covenant through me. First, this may seem a little bit odd. Like, why? I mean, it's they're getting married to each other. Why would they covenant through the pastor first? It's not that odd if you're a Christian. Turn if you've got one. Turn to Matthew 19. It'll be on the board as well. Matthew 19 verses 4 through 5. Okay, and here Jesus is answering questions about divorce. But the point tonight is the marriage answers that he gives. Okay, Matthew 19 4 through 5. And again, tonight is is kind of an overview on. Dating, looking for a godly partner, uh, same-sex marriage, as well as singleness. All these things are kind of, you'll, you'll hear, oh, I see what he's going to do with it. You'll hear that tonight. Um, so Matthew 19, 4 through 5, and this is part of what I say to people at the wedding. Okay, I walk them through how 
it's odd that their vows are not to each other at first, they're to me. And then we explain this. So, Matthew 19, 4 through 5. Let me make sure this is right. Yeah, Jesus answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, verse 5, and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is Jesus. Can you go back? Yeah, okay, perfect. Let's right there. All right, you see how it's in all caps, right? And this is, some of you probably know this. If something in the New Testament is in all caps, it's quoting from the what? Old Testament, right? No cap. <laughs> it's quoting from the Old Testament, right? Cool, right? Cool, guys. Okay, anyway, wait, come back, come back. Um, here we go. So it's quoting from the Old Testament. Jesus is quoting from Genesis here. And he's showing us that God is the one who ordained the first marriage between Adam and Eve. Marriage was an invention of God. Okay, Marriage was an invention of God. The Bible confirms that marriage is a covenant originated, empowered, and overseen by God with God as its key player. This is why in weddings, the vows are not made to each other first. They are instead made about each other to God first, or the church's representative. All right, we're going to be going from Matthew to Genesis, kind of back and forth. So kind of keep a finger or stay loose. Genesis 2.22. Genesis 2.22. Okay, and it'll be on the board as well. Genesis chapter 2, verse 22. This is the Lord creating woman. Then the Lord God... Now think about a wedding. Then the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Why does the father bring his daughter down the aisle? Why is the, why is the wife presented that way? Because it gets its root in Genesis 2. Because God is the one who brings, did you catch it? And brought her to the man. God is the one who brings Eve to Adam. And traditional marriages for centuries. And I want you to think about weddings that you've been to where people don't even believe in God, right? And we'll talk about this in, in the fourth week, but even so-called same-sex weddings where one is brought to the other. It is mirroring, they are mirroring the Genesis account of the God that they don't even believe in. They are doing things exactly as the blueprint is laid out in Genesis. It is a mirror of Genesis 2. The form of the wedding in 2020 matches the format of the first wedding from the beginning of time. Dad bringing the daughter down the aisle mirrors the first wedding where Eve's heavenly father brought her to the one that she would spend the rest of her life with. It is an echo. It is a, even at weddings where people don't believe in God, I don't even think they realize they're doing this. They are pointing people back to Genesis pointing people to the God who designed this in the first place, and they don't even realize that they're doing it. Genesis 2, all right, we did 22. Now look at 23 and 24. 23 and 24 of Genesis chapter 2. The man said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother, and he will join to his, wi- I mean, join to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Adam declares his love for Eve, and God oversees and establishes the first marriage, effectively declaring them husband and wife. Just as today, the bride and groom declare their love for each other, 
while a representative from the church oversees the ceremony. It is a mirror back to Genesis. It's straight out of the Bible. The reason three people are present at the altar is because there were three people present at the first wedding. Marriage is first a vertical ceremony before God, then it is a horizontal ceremony between people. All right, flip back over to Matthew now. Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19. And the reason I'm going back and forth is because Jesus is quoting from Genesis 2. So I want you to see how these two things correlate. Matthew chapter 19, verse 3. Some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him and asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? So the Pharisees are asking Jesus, under what grounds is it okay for a couple to get a divorce? And that's not what we'll talk through tonight, but I want you to see Jesus' response, Matthew 19, 4. And Jesus answered, <coughs> excuse me, and Jesus answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, they asked him about marriage, right? Now look at the verses again in 4. They asked him about marriage, and look at what he says. And Jesus answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning and made them male and female? Isn't it interesting that when asked about marriage, Jesus doesn't start with marriage. He starts with creation. Do you see this? When asked to give an answer about marriage, he gives one, but he doesn't start with marriage. He starts with creation. Why? Have you ever had to tell somebody something, but you have to give them backstory first, or the actual story won't make sense? You know what I'm talking about? You want to tell them something, but you've got to give them the backstory first, because if you don't give them the backstory, then the story itself won't make sense. Verse 4, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? It's ironic that he's asking the Pharisees whose job it is to read the Bible. He says, haven't you read? He's basically saying, have you gotten to page 2? Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And then he gets into marriage. Only after mentioning Adam and Eve's creation and their distinction, male and female, does Jesus bring up marriage itself? Look at 4 again. Have you not read that he who created them, so there's creation, from the beginning, and made them male and female, there's the distinction, and then he brings up marriage? That's the backstory that's necessary in order for the story of marriage to make sense. It's as if these two things, creation and distinction, It's as if these two things have to be in place or marriage can't exist. As in, if I don't give you the backstory, the story's not going to make sense. If I don't explain to you that God made man and woman and that he made them male and female, then marriage itself won't make sense. It's the same way that you can only put up walls of a house after you've laid the foundation. God created Adam and Eve. He made them complementary of each other. In other words, he designed them to fit together and go together. That's what complementary means. They can only go together after God has designed them to go together. More on that in week four. But creation is the backstory for what marriage is meant to be. 
marriage in Jesus' mind only comes after the creation and distinction of Adam and Eve as male and female in his image. And then look at 19.6. So they bring the marriage, and he says, So that they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. What does this mean in marriage? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Look back at Genesis 2.25. Genesis 2, verse 25. Genesis 2.25 says this. And the man and his wife were both naked and unashamed. That's a weird way to end the creation narrative, right? And the man and his wife were naked and unashamed. Which seems kind of a strange way to end this. But what you have here, who cares? Why do you tell us this? What you have here is the first instance of the body representing the soul in the Bible. The first instance of the body representing the soul in the Bible. Now, in order to understand dating and all these things in marriage, you've got to see this. God gave us bodies as a visual evidence of what is happening in your soul. And that may sound deep, but I really don't mean it deep because you see this all the time. Murderous action, killing someone, murderous action in the body represents a murderous heart. You see how the body is an extension of what the soul is feeling? Lustful eyes moving represents a lustful heart planning. Tears represent a soul that is heartbroken. Harsh words represent a hateful heart. Your body is an extension of, a visual of, what is happening in your soul. You follow this? Your body is a visual representation of what is happening in your soul. When we see things that could cause us bodily harm, our souls become afraid. Our hearts begin to fear because body and soul are connected. They are interpretations of each other. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned. Help me out, church kids. When Adam and Eve sinned, now their souls are covered in sin and shame, but what do they cover? They're what? They cover their bodies. Do you see this? Jesus' soul is in anguish on the cross because of God's judgment. But what do we see mutilated? His body. The two become one flesh. Male and female bodies, let's, let's, let's talk, right? Male and female bodies are physically complementary. They are designed to literally go together. And if the body represents the soul, and male and female bodies are built to go together, then male and female are designed for each other in a way that is much deeper than just sex. Do you follow this? If the body represents the soul, and your body is handmade by God, to fit together with someone else's body, then what does that say about how your souls are designed for How male and female souls are designed. These two beings who are body and soul, the two shall become one flesh. These two beings who are body and soul are now combined, and since we can't see souls combining, God gave us bodies as a visual evidence of what's going on in the soul. 
19.6, the two shall become one flesh. And what God has joined together, let no one separate. The union of marriage was created by God. It is ultimately God combining these two together. And if God is the one putting these two people together, then it doesn't actually end unless it ends on God's terms. This is where things get complex and we don't have time tonight, but here's my point with this, okay? Here's my point. Dating in high school, right? Having sex in high school is no small thing. There's a reason nobody ever talks about sex at church. There's a reason when on beach camp I put gender, I put gender instead of sex, when in reality sex is actually the proper term, because I know some parents are going to ooh about the word sex. There's a reason we don't talk about sex at church, and there's a reason that when your buddies maybe, at least when I was in high school and college, when you have people who do like to talk about sex outside of church or at school or whatever, it's all they talk about. Because fire is a serious thing. Fire can do amazing things. Keeps the house warm, right? Provides light and clarity. Or it can destroy someone's life. I want to show you one other thing here. In Ephesians 5, Paul quotes from Genesis again when he's speaking about marriage, which shows again that in Paul's mind and in Jesus' mind and the Christian mind, marriage is God's idea based on God's design. It is linked to the creation and distinction of man and woman. But here's what Paul says in Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. It'll be on the board. For this reason, now look, all caps. So what is Paul quoting from? The Old Testament, Genesis 2. He's going here again. For this reason, a man shall leave his mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's marriage. That's sexual union. That's what Paul's talking about. Genesis 2, that's marriage. But then look at what he says in 32. This mystery is great. But I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Paul is not saying that Jesus' love for us is an example of what marriage is like. Paul is saying that marriage, this thing that our culture worships, is just the model for the real thing, which is Jesus' love for his bride, which is Jesus' love for for us. Just as our wedding ceremony points back to Genesis 2 and what marriage is, marriage points to something else. Just like, a, just like a picture of the Grand Canyon is a pointer to, is a reminder of something much deeper and more real, marriage is a pointer to, is a picture of a love that is even deeper and more intimate than we can imagine. There is a movie that like two of you have probably heard of, and it's not your fault. Um, it's called Zoolander, okay? Zoolander is this movie where uh, Ben Stiller plays this model who is an absolute moron from the beginning, right? He's just a fool. He doesn't understand anything, okay? And there's this super famous scene in Zoolander. I should have pulled it up, but it it, I don't think it, you would have got it, but it's fine. So it's a scene in Zoolander where they're going to build a school for him, Okay? You know what I'm talking about? They're going to build this school in honor of Derek Zoolander, who's a complete moron. Okay? And he goes in to see the model of the school. A model of a building. right? So it's like as big as this podium. The model of the school. And it's this famous line. And, he and he's a complete fool. And he looks at the model and he says, 
this is never going to work. And he says, what is this? A school for ants? It should be at least three times this size, right? That's, what, that's Zoolander's thing, right? That's what Zoolander's thing. And, and listen, the stupidity of the scene is that he has mistaken the model for the real thing. He has mistaken the model for the real thing. Which is exactly what our culture, what my culture, even more so I think than your culture, has done with marriage and relationships and dating. We think that marriage, that the model is the real thing, just like Zoolander did, right? It's a sentence I've never used in a sermon before. Just like Zoolander did. But just like Zoolander, if you think the model is the real thing, you're going to be terribly disappointed. Sam Alberry says it like this. Now listen, if you think dating is the real thing, if marriage, whatever, is the real, if you think that dating is going to fulfill you, you are going to be a nightmare to date. If you think that marriage will fulfill you, you will be a nightmare to be married to. Because you're not falling in love with a person, you're falling in love with an idea. You see the difference? And the idea is not the person. People are messy and super weird and kind of lazy or kind of hyperactive, and they're going to let you down, you see. But if you look at marriage as this thing that points to Jesus, who doesn't give up on us, Jesus whose actual love satisfies and fulfills, then you won't be looking to your spouse for fulfillment, and you can create an environment where they're allowed to mess up. Where they can let off the gas and, and be calm around you. Where they don't have to be on their A-game all the time. You see what I mean? There, used, there was a, I don't know, a meme? I don't know what it was. But it was like, it was like if you love me at my this, and it was like a really ugly picture, then you deserve me at my this. Do you know what I'm talking about? Does that make sense? This is, this is what's so much better. And, and I like that because it shows... I'm not just this picture all the time. This is the problem. He thought the model was the real thing. This is what it's supposed to be all the time. That's like having, thinking that dating and marriage will fulfill you instead of Jesus. Thinking the model is the real thing is like having a house by the ocean offered to you for free and you just take a postcard picture of it instead. What a fool. Think about everything you've missed out on. We have mistaken the model for the real thing. Marriage is like looking at the crown of the king. You want to take care of it because you know who it belongs to, but having a crown is not the same thing as knowing the king. Marriage is awesome. It is. Marriage is awesome. But the thing that marriage points to is what will actually fulfill you, not marriage itself. If you think marriage will fulfill you, if you think Instagram marriage is what's going to fulfill you, right, if you think Sadie Robertson's marriage is what you need on Instagram, and that's what's going to fulfill you, or Tebow's, or whoever, whoever you kids think is cool, or that blonde couple, the two Barbie dolls, that they love each other, you know what I'm talking about, right? If that's what you think, and I'm not, I'm not bashing them, I'm not bashing them, but if you take, here's the thing, we're going to do a thing on, on social media in the spring of next year, but the problem, and I have Instagram, the problem with Instagram is that it creates this idea that you're supposed to judge everything based on appearance. Does that make sense? That, and I'm not saying delete, it's not a demon app or whatever. I'm just telling you, it, create, it, it does affect you, though. It disciples you, okay? 
we start to judge everything based on appearance. And when you look to marriage, when you look to this ideal marriage, let me give you an example. Uh, I used this example before, so just forgive me, the juniors and seniors in the room. So, you, so it's, it's Saturday, right? And, and mom and dad have decided that we're going to go have a family picnic, which deep down, nobody really wants to do, but we're going to do it anyway. So uh, dad, classic dad, is, is late doesn't really want to do this, so he's kind of dragging his feet, so the kids are running late, so now mom's mad, and when mom's mad, everybody is having a bad day, right? So, but you, but you get in the car, you're kind of picking at each other, nobody really is getting along, and you get out there to the picnic, right? You go out to the picnic, everybody's mad, nobody wants to be there, mom was so mad, she forgot the plates, now you're just like eating on the ground, like, what, like you just snuck out there, right? Dad is on the grill, he burns all the food, nobody wants to be there, everyone's, but before we leave, family selfie, right? So you put the smile on, you take the picture, blessed, love my family, live, laugh, whatever, right? And you post it, right? Everyone posts it. Meanwhile, and you've had a terrible day. Meanwhile, the other families look on, who have had terrible days as well, look on Instagram and Facebook and they see your picture and they think, why can't we be more like them? Look how happy they are. And the cycle just feeds itself. You see how nobody, it's not like that. When we treat the model as the real thing, when we think the model is what we have to have or we won't be fulfilled, it will only lead to disaster. To de- so, so marriage is, it, dating, marriage points to Christ's love for us, his satisfying love for us. So when we devalue dating, when we treat it too casually, when we devalue m- marriage and what it stands for, we devalue creation. We devalue how we're made. We devalue the gospel of Christ. I don't have, I'm, and this is just me, I don't have a specified age to start dating in high school. The fact that middle school is not in here should say enough, right? But, and you guys know this, some sophomores are way more mature than some seniors, unfortunately, right? I don't think it's a mystical age barrier, okay? But here's what I want you to take away from this one. Okay? Here's why we're giving you books for books. Here's why we're giving you those things for this topic. Okay? Because as you go out to dinner with people, with guys or girls or whatever, as you go to the movies, or the next time maybe you're asked to hang out at someone's house alone, I ask you to remember the serious goodness that marriage represents. Marital sexual union is an amazing thing, just like fire is a great thing that keeps us warm and and brings clarity. But fire is also something that you cannot treat casually because it can do harm. It's a seriously good thing, right? It's not, this is evil, if you do it, you'll, if you do it, you'll light on fire and you'll die. That's not what I'm, that's not the point that I'm making, right? This is a serious thing. I want PVN to be a place where dating is taken seriously. Not where nobody dates or whatever. I, don't, I mean, it's, it's your call, right? We'll, we'll talk about it later. But I want PVN to be a place where dating is taken seriously. I'm not trying to anybody. But if you're dating someone and, and I haven't seen them here, what's going on? Maybe because they're somewhere else spiritually at, at another church, and that's okay. But if you're dating someone and, and, and we haven't met them, or we haven't seen them on a Wednesday or a Sunday, that's just something to start thinking about. Is dating something that you want to take seriously? And as you get into college, as you meet guys and girls from totally different walks of life, 
is making sure that they're around spiritually, is that something that is even on your radar at this point? If it's not, let's talk about that. That's what these books are for. That's what this book is for. I ask you to remember how much, now listen, look at me, I ask you to remember as you start dating how much Jesus loves you, how quick he will be to forgive you when you screw it up. That's part of why marriage is permanent, because only in the room of permanence can you have room to screw this up and they won't leave. You see that? Marriage is not fueled by love. Marriage helps fuel love. Marriage gives you room to fall down and mess up and try this again. Therefore, you get to learn forgiveness, which is something you may not understand yet. This is the beauty of commitment. One of, my, one of the times I was the most, if this is even the right way to say this, one of the times I fell the most in love with Kristen was when, she, was when her dad was passing away. And I watched her and how loyal and brave and strong and, and hurt she was. You, d- you won't get to see that if you are in relationships constantly where you leave as soon as it doesn't look like Instagram. Does that make sense? I'm not saying, now like if he like robs a bank and sets his house on fire and you're like, well, Ryan said to give it a chance. Like that's not... Use your head, seek wise counsel. We're, next week, we're going to talk about finding a godly partner. What does that look like, okay? And again, I'm not trying to bust it. I don't even know. I don't know what, what's on your mind space. I don't know, okay? I'm just laying out some things for you guys to start thinking about as we get into this series, as you start reading these books, okay? Remember how much Jesus loves you, how quick he is to forgive you when you mess things up in relationship, whether it's physically, whether it's emotionally, whatever it is. How quick he is to forgive you, but we can't just leave it there. We want these relationships to be wonderful things. I want guys to take girls from PVN very seriously. I don't want it to be a casual thing. I want them to know that they have to put their best foot forward, right? I want fellas at PVN to take dating and relationships seriously. To not be afraid to to make the first move if that's what they feel like they need to do, 